Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning in to another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. Today, I have on speaker, community leader, teen coach, alternative education advocate, and author of the book, Seen, Heard, and Understood, Parenting and Partnering with Teens for a Greater Mental Health, Lainey Liberty. How are you? I am spectacular. How are you? I'm doing great. I love your name. I know we talked about it briefly when we first chatted. I feel like it's a great like pro wrestler, like roller derby girl name. Thank you so much for not saying stripper. I really appreciate that. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, my mind's not that bad, but I think pro, like you see there's a wrestling belt behind me. I always think of wrestling first, but that's a badass name. Thank you. I live in Mexico, and I've seen Lucha, Lucho Libre like so many times, and I can imagine Lenny Liberty with a big mask. Yeah, you have a USA mask and everything with the, uh, with the torch and the shield. That'd be kind of cool. I'm not very patriotic. But yeah, I know what you're okay, saying, but, but we can do a different flag or make up our own. Yeah, yeah I like that. I mean, make up our own colony. There's like a uh, country called Liberland or something. You don't own it? No. Oh, man, that's a bummer. <laughs> All right, let's start with this. What does mental health mean to you? Yeah. So mental health is the spectrum of mental wellness. So mental health is that thing that we are um, always working on. It's a um, journey. It's never a destination. And it really encompasses the wellness part. And I think a lot of people think about mental health in the negative. And I always try and shift that to the thing that we're doing in the positive. It's it's a process. We're never perfect. We never achieve this, this sort of like... I don't know, destination, you know, somewhere in Oz, it's, it, it just doesn't exist, but it's, it's the process of, um, really learning about your internal worlds. The yellow brick road doesn't stop with that. You just keep on going. I know, I know how it is. (laughs) Just keep on right. It's such a loaded question, but it's such like a great answer because there's no wrong answer for it. And that was a great one. Thank you. Now, you've had a pretty miraculous life from when we chatted, so we're going to d- dive deep into this. Is So what happened to you in 2008? Like, wh- Where did this all start from you? And we're going to keep on going and talk about the book as well. Yeah. Okay. So 2008 is a really great place to start. Um, I am a mom. Um, at the time in 2008, I had a child, a son who was nine years old. And I have always been a single parent, so it's been me and my son. And 2008 is when a lot of things happened. I lived in California. Uh, The economy crashed. I owned a business at the time, and it was a um, branding agency, a very boutique specialized branding agency focusing on serving Green, eco, green and eco companies and nonprofits. And it was doing wonderfully. It was before this whole green, you know, marketing trend even happened. I was one of the first to specialize um, in Los Angeles and it was quite successful. I ran it 
for eight years. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I've got all these crazy eights, you know, circling around because the name of my company was Jungle Eight. And it was just like, and guess how many employees I had? Eight. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say 88, but I was like, no, I'm going to go with eight. <laughs> no, no, no. I had eight. It was a boutique agency. So yeah, like there was crazy eights in 2008. But what wasn't so crazy was, I mean, can I say that word on this podcast? See, I'm, I'm on the side of saying crazy in a way of like, it's okay. Because like things are crazy. Like I consider, like, I wouldn't call somebody crazy. Like in a, in a sense of like, oh, you're a crazy person. But like I'd be like, you know what? You're kind of a crazy person. Like you know what I mean? There's a difference between the way you say it. Yeah. But you're not a crazy person by any means. I'm just saying that in context. But you're like things. <laughs> things can be crazy. Crazy. I like the word. I think, and I like the word when we're talking about crazy eights. And I've yeah. never ever like made that connection. Crazy eights ever. This is the first podcast and the first interview and the first time I've ever used that, by the way. Yes. So you must be inspiring me in some weird way. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. So back to my story, 2008, my uh, son who would always say to me, mom, you're always working. You never spend any time with me. And it was true. It it actually was true. I was following the American dream. I worked in marketing and advertising for almost 18 years, almost a 20 year career. In the last eight of those years, as I said, I was running my own agency and it was quite successful. And I had to work hard because I was providing for my son and, you know, I had to do all of this stuff. So we had a good life. And what that really meant was I was missing out on his childhood and through his words and the look in his eyes and the the tone of his voice, every time he said to me, mom, you're always working. You never spend any time with me. Um, my heart would break into a million pieces and I knew it was true, but I just didn't know how to reconcile what I thought I should be doing and what I was doing and what I thought I needed to do and where I wanted to. Like there was, there was no congruity. I was like really like not feeling that I was on path or my path or the right path. I always wanted to be a parent. I was really passionate about you know, intentionally choosing to be a parent and the style of parenting, you know, was really important to me. I read everything I could about attachment parenting and relationship building and all that came from a quite traumatic childhood myself and I didn't want to perpetuate the same um, patterns and I, you know, I was really cognizant about generational wounds and healing traumas. And that was a good part of my work that I really wanted to have in progress, not solve because we're never done, but have, have, you know, a, a part of my sense of self before I brought another person into the world and the intentionality behind raising a child as a healthy, um, emotional person was really a choice that I wanted to make, but I couldn't reconcile, you know, I was working too much and I couldn't, and I wasn't spending time with them. So in 2008, when the economy crashed in California, I saw this as an opportunity to do something radical. And because I was burnt out and because it just, life didn't make sense to me. And in that moment, 
I said to my son one night late, we were sitting in the office and it was in October and I said, his name is Miro, and I said, Miro, how about we just get rid of all this stuff and go have an adventure together? And he's like, hell yeah, I am in. And that was the beginning of what transformed our lives and my life, his life, our lives together, and the path that we were about ready to embark on. And so his follow-up question, of course, was, does this mean I don't have to go to school? Oh, yeah. That'd be my first question, too. (laughs) Right? Right? (laughs) And he's like, hell yeah, I'm in. I'm in. And so that was it. And we decided to leave the United States um, in the beginning of 2009 for what was to be a one-year trip. And the plan was we would start off, we're from L.A., so we would just head south and go from Mexico and make our way to Argentina and end up in Ushuaia, the tip of South America, and then come back and restart our lives. So that was, what, 14 years ago? Yeah. We've never made it to Ushuaia, and we still haven't moved back to the United States. So we've wow. been all around the world. So yeah, that was that. That was it. <laughs> you were like the epitome of like us in school when you would spin the globe really fast, and you would hold your finger on it and be like, "That's where I'm going to go when I'm older in life." And I feel like that's what you did with your son. Yes, we <laughs> did that, and believe it or not, we didn't do it with a with a globe, but we did it with maps. Like, <laughs> oh, you really did that. <laughs> we did. Oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We did. We had a map a map of South America and we're like, where should we go? But we had we decided to just go south because I didn't I wasn't going to bring a car. We were just going to be free. I mean, my name is Liberty. <laughs> so yeah. I had to embody the freedom part of it. And so we did. We did. We had a direction. So we knew which way to go south, right? And we were just going to be guided by inspiration. You weren't scared at all? You know, I was terrified. I was (laughs) so scared the first year. Let me tell you, I remember the like first few weeks um, we were in Mexico. (laughs) Funny enough, I'm in Mexico talking to you right now. But we were in Mexico. That was our first country. And I remember just being overwhelmed by the, the, the heat by the the sounds, the language. I didn't speak Spanish then. I kind of, some people will argue I don't speak it now, yeah. but I do. Um, the smells, everything was different. And I just remember like crying, sobbing the first week, like, what the fuck did I do? Oh my God, oh my God. And, you know, taking on the sort of like, the ground doesn't feel steady under me. I don't know what I'm doing. And once we started processing the relationship that we both had to, and look, I'm all about like creating scaffolding and creating like um, frameworks so I understand where, where I am and how to make sense of it and also how to push the boundaries. That's kind of what I do. But I have, that's Carlos. I have to understand what the comfort zone looked like what it looked like being outside of my comfort zone. And we called that the stretch zone. And then beyond that, it was the panic zone. So we we created this language, the, you know, we normalize this language and really 
started doing this self-inquiry work, my son and myself, so we could be partners, so we could support one another, so we can actually, you know, be accountable for the things that we were feeling and that would help us navigate what was next because we didn't have plans. So when you've got plans... You can just say, okay, here's our itinerary. We have to be here for two days, and then we have to catch a train or a bus and go here and the next place. We had no plans. And that was the most freeing part about it, right? Because here I was overworked, over, you know, scheduled, overtasked, and suddenly I don't have any of those things. And lots of things came up, fear, emotions, all kinds of of beliefs that I had to sort of unpack and challenge, um, trauma responses, you know, all of these crazy things. I brought them with me. I didn't plan on it, but right, right. there you go. So the intentionality behind becoming partners versus I was the authority and I'm telling you what we're doing on our trip. This was our side-by-side adventure instead. And that's what we really wanted. So partners in everything from all the physical stuff like money, how we're spending our budget, where we we were going, you know, how long we were staying, when we didn't feel comfortable in a certain place. All of that was really getting to know and being present with our internal worlds intentionally and then using these tools that we set in place, like having the language around comfort zone, stretch zone, and panic zone, talking about partnership, talking about emotions, feelings, um, being accountable for our own triggers, you know, and fears and challenging those things. So yeah, fear, massive, a massive part of, um, our journey. And it popped up several times. But the more that we became familiar with our intuition, um, the, the more we started to trust ourselves and trust that the world was a safe place and really sort of exhale into becoming more present in our own lives. But I will tell you about like five, six months into our travels. We were somewhere in Costa Rica. And I remember this story and I've told it several times because it's just the silliest thing. We were, we had just gone to this town called Cartago and it was somewhere in the center in the coffee region. And I really wanted to go and we get there in the evening and we're trying, we've got these two heavy backpacks on us, way too heavy. Um, we're trying to navigate. We don't speak English. I, I, we don't speak Spanish. We do right. speak English, but sometimes that's questionable too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we're walking and we're looking to find our hotel where we're staying. And we navigate our way towards like the center um, plaza. And somebody, you know, pointed go that way because we didn't speak Spanish. Um And so we ended up going down this alley. And as we're walking through this alley, here's this man walking towards us. And I got this flash of fear. And I said to my son, really, really rapidly without thinking, Miro, give me your hand. So he gives me his hand. He goes, why, mom? And I said, because that man has big pants. What does that mean? Don't trust a guy with big pants. <laughs> Don't trust a guy with big pants. So he walked past us and we both busted up laughing. Yeah. 
And being in a fear response causes you to either panic or it's not rational. And that was like a really good example to us of keeping our cool, functioning in that moment, right? We went into, I went into fight, flight or freeze, um, but recognizing that it was just silly. Why was I re- afraid of a man in big pants? I, I would be sketched out by a guy in big pants too. <laughs> know what that means I don't know how big his pants were but that's what I said and that was the fear and it took us several months and moving into the years and I don't have that same relationship with fear I recognize the emotions I recognize the when I feel panicked um but I don't react in such a way anymore I now recognize it and respond um, there are like certain instances, like I, I was doing a podcast a couple weeks ago and there was a scorpion right next to my head that kind of put me in my panic zone. But yeah, that would put me in my panic zone too. I don't, <laughs> I don't like bugs. And that's probably like one of the ultimate bugs I wouldn't mess with. Are they considered a bug? Arachnoids? I don't know. Oh, see, that's too complicated for me. Yeah. So you're going to have to teach me as well. So just uh, fast forward a little bit. Can you explain what Project World School is? Yeah, yeah. So I, I have to give you a teeny bit of backstory. Yeah, of course. Um, so we were planning on traveling for one year. It ended up being 14 years. Yeah. Um, we One of the things that we started to do was we started to blog about it. And the focus of the blogging was here we are having this adventure. We're living by inspiration. We're living in partnership. And we're learning. The crazy thing is my son wasn't going to school, but we were learning together. And he was. That's learning. what it is, too, though. Sorry to cut you off. It's like learning yeah. something different than actually like the school stuff where they don't teach you like anything it's like i don't know what photosynthesis really is anymore but i don't think i needed to learn it i feel like if you need to adopt somebody like i have a great mom but if you want to be my aunt i'm 100 in but but keep going with your story i just had to say that because that's a big topic that i love to uh I mean, I'm passionate about getting kids out of the education, the the conventional education system, because I think it's really damaging. And I do a lot of activism around that. So I hear you on that. And then the second thing is, um, I work with a shit ton of teens. Can I swear on here? Fuck yeah. Okay, because I work with teens and they swear and it's just the way that we communicate and it's just natural. And most of them call me Auntie Laney, so you can call me Auntie Laney. Oh, Auntie Laney, I love it. I'm putting that in there. There you go. So so I'm getting to what Project World School is. So after writing about the education, the learning, and the excitement of all of it, and my son Miro and I started our own podcast, actually, like, 15, 14 years ago, 13 years ago, and we did that like collaboratively. That was our project for a while. And people were listening and people were writing in and people were like asking me, wow, you're traveling, you know, by yourself. Like, how cool is that? Yeah. Um, how do you do it with a family of five? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> two people. We're two people. Yeah. Or I get questions like, wow, you and your son are traveling. I want to do that in Thailand. Where should I go? I'm like, aren't you reading? We're in Guatemala. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, so it, this is before Facebook got so weird. But 
you know, I started a Facebook group at that time called World Schooling because the things that we were doing, um, well, it aligned with the uh, sort of practice of unschooling, which is self-directed learning, learning from the world. But the term itself, unschooling, was coined by uh, John Holt, who wrote many books about it. And there has been a massive movement in natural learning, parent-supported learning, all these terms for it. But I didn't like the term unschooling because we were schooling by through experience. It was experiential social learning. But it wasn't undoing. It wasn't, we weren't not doing something. We were clearly doing it. So I called it world schooling. And so I started a Facebook group and I was like, well, there's got to be somebody who is interested in this kind of education or is doing it, traveling with their families that can answer this because I can't answer how to travel with five kids or where to go to Thailand before I had been there, of course. Now I can answer that question. But um, so we started this group and I ended up building a group, a community uh, from nothing to about 40,000 families. So it really became a movement. And that really started the wheels turning, right? At 13, my not me, but my son was 13, um, we started to get invitations to speak at unschooling conferences because world schooling was unschooling while traveling, learning right. the world. And so we had gone and spoken at several conferences. And the first conference that my son and I spoke at um, was an unschooling. It was a radical unschooling conference. And it was the first time he had been around all these free-range kids, these, you know, boys with long hair and, you know, did go to school and people that were free, and it was such a, a wonderful, wonderful experience for him. At the time, we had made our base in Cusco, Peru, fell in love with the place and decided we wanted to stay there and live there for a while, and that ended up being our base for three years. So we would still travel, but that was our base. It just was the greatest place in the world to be based. And when we came back from the first conference that we spoke at, my son was like, you know, I feel isolated. I want friends. I want community. You are building community online. This sucks. And I asked him, do you want to stop traveling? Do you want to move back to the States? And he's like, no. And a lot of that came from, you know, working in advertising and consumerism and then living a non-consumerist life. Um, discovering our own freedom and all of these wonderful transformations that were taking place within ourselves and within our relationship. He didn't want to go back to the U.S. He I wouldn't either. doesn't like those kids. What? I wouldn't either. Yeah, and he still doesn't. He's here. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the point was there was something missing. He, he felt isolated. And so I said to him, well, why don't we see if we can arrange bringing some teens here? 
And I've always been an incredible reader, researcher. I learn whatever I want to learn when I want to learn it because I have a shit ton of curiosity filling up this head. I mean, I am so curious about everything and I've always been empowered to learn whatever I wanted. So um, I learned everything I could about community building, about creating learning communities, about teens, about... Um, you know, team development, uh, all that stuff, which was really important for me to understand in order to facilitate a group of teens. So we had our first group come to um, Peru, to Cusco, and we did an immersive learning event where we, you know, we explored archaeology, anthropology, we um, explored some Andean mysticism, a lot of history, um, like the learning was massive. You know, we lived with a, a family on a farm. We made cooey, which is, which was an absolute honor to learn how to make this really special traditional dish. And we got to challenge our own worldviews. You're not going to ask me what cooey is, are you? Yeah. I was, I was hoping you were going to do it, but yeah, let me know what it is. <laughs> is what? Guinea pig. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So okay. We got to challenge our worldviews, like yep. what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Why is this like the biggest delicacy and the biggest gift to give a visitor in Peru? And why really? were we responding in this really kind of like ah! way? You know, and so we got to unpack all of these things. And a lot of the healing that I did prior to having a child and throughout the rest of my life still doing you know, sort of unpacking my childhood traumas, um, the tools that I used started to come in handy to facilitate with these teens who were like, I'm in my panic zone. Um, I'm sitting in judgment. Um, like all of these things, I helped them unpack because I had done this work on myself. And that, that like, you know, um, inspired me to go out and get more tools and to unpack deeper and to learn more about shadows and fears and beliefs and like all this stuff, worldviews. And that was really, really important. So that was the birth of Project World School. And we did it one time in, in Peru and it was successful. And so, you know, we fixed all the mistakes and added new processes and we did it again the next year. But this time we did two trips. We did one in Peru also like we did. And then we did a surf trip in Ecuador. And then the next year we did like three trips. Then the next year we did like four trips. So oh, we kept man. like expanding to different places. And for the first two to three years, my son was just a participant and he got this like, you know, this, this like intense sense of community for this one month. And then he wanted like to recuperate, you know, because he's kind of introverted, so he needed to recharge. So it was really good doing these intense trips. Um, and then the third and fourth year came, and we started planning trips all over the world. We've done them, you know, Japan, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, Wales, Greece, um, nice. South Africa, uh, lots in Latin America. And he started to step into more of a leadership role. So at 16, 17, he's co-facilitating with me. And 
now he's running the trip. So, but oh, that awesome. was the birth of Project World School. And they really are trips designed for teens that are immersive learning experiences in community, all based on consensus. Can you believe that? Consensus with a group of like 15 teenagers. Yeah. We all have to agree on the same thing. So that requires patience, facilitation tools. Lots and lots of um, conversations, unpacking the emotional stuff that comes up and holding people accountable. Sometimes I get to be the projected target of some of their anger, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's just territory. What a gift. So so I can can only assume that you took all this information, all your learning experience, and that's what came out of seeing, heard, understood, parenting, and partnering with teens for a greater mental health. Is that um, good to assume? It's good to assume. Yes, yes. So the research that I did, the tools that I started to use, that I used with myself, that I started to use with other to- teens, um, and then the part, the parenting part, which is a radical approach to parenting. It's not authoritarian in nature at all. It's partnership, partnership parenting. Well, what does that mean? Like, aren't you the responsible one? Yeah, so I have a different role, but it doesn't mean I'm his boss. It just means I carry the weight of the legal responsibility of this. He carries the weight of that. And, you know, it balances out and it may not look even to some people, but it's a partnership. You bring this, I bring that, we make our stone soup, right? Yeah. So it's partnership. Um, so I write about that and that is the best way to facilitate teens. You can't just point your finger at a teen and say, mental health, get it. You know, you know, I could, you need to be seen, heard and understood in order to, to even feel safe and secure enough to, to start moving on that path. Well, this was our family culture, our family culture, because again, I've, I've mentioned that I had quite a traumatic childhood. I had a lot of of trauma that I processed. Um, doesn't mean it's gone. It means right. it's a part of who I am. I understand there are certain limitations to what I can and can't do in the world. Like I can't see scary movies because because I go into fight, flight, or freeze. Right? Yeah. And and like just two weeks ago, I was in that situation. Um, so like this tells you that this stuff is still with you, right? So here I am sitting in this scary movie with a friend and the first, like, we didn't know what the movie was about. We're in Mexico. We're just like, let's pick this one. (laughs) So we saw the first scene. I got scared shitless. I put my head on his shoulder and involuntarily. I am crying. I'm not like uh, 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 crying like you're sobbing, like you're at an active part. It was right. just what what my body was doing because the fear response put me into a freeze response. And he kept saying, do you want to leave? And I'm like, no, I'm okay. As long as I don't look, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, you watch the movie. Okay. And I actually went into freeze, right? This is childhood wounds. And these were the reactions that I had to something that was frightening to me. And I froze. And it took me an hour of, with my head on his shoulders, just sobbing. Not sobbing like, right. like but like my eyes are tearing. Um, and then I finally went, oh, 
okay, I'm not frozen anymore. Yes, I want to leave. So I advocated for myself, but it took me that long of the processing to recognize, like, I, and I already said, I can't see scary movies. And it's been about 20 years since I had seen one. <laughs> well, I didn't actually see this one. I heard it. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but, you got to keep it on, keep it away from you if you don't need it. Exactly. So I have to, like, I know that there are certain things that I can and can't do because I'm somebody who experienced trauma in, in early childhood, right? Yeah, from from an abusive parent. And that kind of trauma doesn't mean that, you know, I've looked at it, I've processed it, I've done so much work around it, but it doesn't mean it's gone. It right. means I need to integrate that and make it a part of who I am as a healthy human being now. And part of me staying healthy is staying away from scary movies. <laughs> exactly. Well, you can do a lot and you have done a lot for a lot of people. So yeah. why is teen mental health important to tackle? Well, because I wasn't seen, heard, or understood as a teen, and I didn't recognize how how damaging that was to me. It was the thing that I wanted most in the world. And when I started working with teens during Project World School retreats, I felt this part of my inner child starting to sort of like heal and recuperate. And I felt and recognized every time I supported another teen and really sat with them in a non-judgment and gave them tools and safety and security to unpack the things that they were experiencing right then and there, my inner child perked up and smiled and was proud and really, really felt like this is the work I'm meant to do. And by working and su supporting and serving teens, it's healing to me. I'm not yeah. going to lie. It's selfish for me, but it, it gives me energy. It gives me purpose and it gives me that, that feeling of I am here serving in such an authentic way. And I could tell, you know, every time a teen calls me Auntie Lady or Travel Bob, you know, and, and now I work with them online for the most part because that's what 2020 and beyond sort of, you know, like, like, uh, dictated, right? Um, you know, there's still, there's different names, you know, as right, a travel right. mom or, or some, sometimes they call me Auntie Laney still, but I like Auntie Laney. I think it's a great, it's great. Um, yeah, it's, it's that knowing that knowing that you're on path makes all the difference in the world as to the world making sense. And in fact, right before I told you when we first connected, I just got out of a class that ended right as, yeah, as yeah. you know, we started. And today we were exploring passions and purpose. And I've got all these tools for unpacking it and looking at it and supporting one another. And, you know, the the recognition that it's kind of hard to know what your purpose and passion is when you're a young person and maybe some people do and maybe some people don't, but to start creating the language and thinking around it is preparing the, the mind, the brain, you're creating the neural pathways to be receptive to thinking about things in a different way. So unpacking passions, unpacking purpose and what that means to you as an individual, and then 
playing with the ideas of how these things can fit together based on the evidence of how you're living your life now is pretty powerful. That very is. What's the biggest struggle for a parent when it comes to helping teens with mental health? Their own mental wellness. So parents, parents are reactive just as anybody is. And if they haven't done the work to unpack their own triggers, anytime you get triggered, your teen walks by, doesn't say anything and goes straight into their room. The parent might be thinking, well, that's rude as fuck. And then, you know, part of them, they start building up inside of themselves. Well, yeah, that's rude. They're disrespecting me. You know, I don't deserve this. I give them this, 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 and this. Like you could see how that line of thinking is working themselves up. So the battle is actually happening in their own mind and in their own bodies and through their own programming that is being activated. And it's not about the teen walking by. And the teen walking by without saying something is actually congruent with their developmental stage. They are doing, there's there's remodeling happening in the brain. They hyper-focus. They are sometimes, you know, shut down in terms of their social environment. Sometimes they're in their mind. There's all these reasons why they walk by, maybe because they feel safety and they don't feel like they need to say something, right? The fact that the parent is perceiving that behavior as rude is the parent's kind of uh, issue to unpack, not the teen. And the book that I wrote is written for parents. I work primarily with teens. That's like I said, that I believe that's my purpose. But I really feel like if parents got in alignment with their own mental wellness, you know, when mental wellness or mental health, mental health, Again, the term implies that you don't have it, right? So I like to say mental wellness, but it really is mental health. Um, If they started to become accountable in unpacking what those triggers mean, what they're tied to, the relationship between themselves and their teen will be much more connected because you're not bringing in all of that baggage. So the first step is helping parents, number one, recognize that their mental wellness is a part of why the reactions are happening. And then the second part is uh, recognizing what the teen is going through in terms of the developmental changes. There are uh, neurobiological changes. There are just simply brain changes, hormonal changes. There are um, changes from a psychological perspective, moving, transitioning from one stage of a life of their life to another stage. There's all kinds of things to consider. And of course, not in the forefront of their mind is to be polite or respectful to the parent right. because all this other stuff is going on. So it's up to us to notice when we're reacting to their behavior. And if our goal is to change their behavior so we feel better, we are in a coercive, we are coercing them. Um, we are in a coercive authoritarian relationship, and that's not going to create greater connection. What's going to create greater connection is the accountability for your own internal worlds 
and um, facilitating what's happening right now through the authenticity. Yeah. Now we're not going to give away the whole book or anything, but what are some teen myths? Oh my God. There's so many. (laughs) Um, The reason why I included the chapter on teen myths is, look, culturally we're exposed to the common beliefs within our our surroundings within the within the dominant culture and we've been told and we believe and we absorb these belief systems um, without questioning them for most of our lives and what i'm trying to do is to ask the parents that are reading this First of all, does it sound true that your teen is lazy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you 20 examples of how that's true. Well, okay, maybe they are, maybe they're not. But the expectation that teens are lazy is already putting you, standing you in opposition of what could be. So what the brain does is when you've got a dominant belief, like taking in cultural belief of teens are lazy, your brain automatically looks for the evidence to show you that this belief is true. And in fact, you know, I talk about the reticular activating system, which is like the the gate, the gatekeeper that allows you to see the things that you actually notice because you're always exposed to like 50 billion and I just made that up 50 billion uh, bits of information I don't know what the number is but I'm sure that it's a really high number but the reticular activating system checks in and says what are the beliefs yes I'm going to show you that and you may not see the other thing that's directly in front of you that um, shows you that it's not true. But because you have this dominant belief that you absorbed from culture, from society, and you're, you're thinking that this is true, you're, you're looking for the truth in that, the evidence to prove that. And we do that with our fears, like that man has big pants. Yep. We do it with everything. And so um, one, the third thing that I didn't talk about, you know, here's the, here's, here's parenting. We talk about parenting. Mm-hmm. The second thing we talk about is the information around the science of what is happening within the developmental of the adolescent. And the third thing is tools, tools to help you unpack and pull apart and question beliefs and look at fears and recognize, you know, patterns um, like trigger logs are a really great, great way of doing that. And yes, if you've got a teen who's triggered all the time, guess what? You've probably modeled that as a parent. So unpack your triggers first, share with them the journey of your unpacking, and then you can partner together to facilitate one another's journey into triggers. Pretty I feel, I feel like just talking to your, your, your child like a normal human being is like the right start to do. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so as a parent, so I read this book, um, all about attachment parenting. And that was sort of my, my, you know, intro into learning how to be an attached parent. 
and create the safety and security in my son as a baby. And attachment parenting is great, but it stops after your kids goes into toddler years, right? So I just kept doing it, (laughs) right? But um, yeah, one of the things was don't talk to them like a baby. Speak them naturally. And so like I have this this desire to use baby talk, and that's why I have pets around me. Like, oh, come here, Carlos, my little dog and so I talked to him in baby talk but I never once spoke to my child in baby talk and I always answered his questions and I know a lot of people um, tone down their responses to age appropriate I never did that he asked me a question at two years old you know why is the sky blue like I would explain to him the science behind it or we'd look it up and then I'd ask him what part of that he understood and you know I'd ask him what more like should we try and explore it a little more this way or so I always gave him the option of having the full information and He's he's a bright, intelligent person, and he's got a really, really massive vocabulary. He was reading, oh my God, he was reading H.P. Lovecraft at 10. Don't ask me why. But like he speaks <laughs> like the elder gods. Like, you know, right. like who does that? He does that. <laughs> you know? He writes. He writes verse poetry um, in, in, in with Greek myth. Now I don't. I don't remember what it's called. But like his his language and his um, you know command of the English language and his expression, the way that he expresses himself, is far beyond. Even at twelve, you know, far beyond the age. I mean, he's twenty three now. So right. But, like he's just very, very articulate. What's your favorite part about being a parent? All of it. (laughs) (laughs) um, Being challenged and really, I think, I think it's gotta be knowing that I am stopping generational wounds, these patterns, knowing that I've raised or am raising and still supporting, you know, emotionally um, and staying connected. And I've got a really rich, wonderful relationship that nobody in my family ever had generations before me. And I know that he's going to be an amazing daddy one day. Yeah. Because I know he wants kids, and I get to be a grandma one yeah, day, yeah, yeah. and just yeah, all of that. Just I mean, we stopped a pattern of abuse. We stopped a pattern of authoritarianism. I've raised a free thinker who can question authority, who feels safe and secure in the world, and has a really rich internal world um, relationship, and that's. Hell yeah, that's yeah. my favorite part. Yeah. Seen, heard, and understood. Where can everyone get that? So it's exclusive <laughs> on Amazon because I self-published and that's where you'll find it. But you can find it in any country. Um, this is the book. Ooh. It's here. Uh, it's a pretty thick book. It's, yeah, and it's got a full chapter of tools. The thing that I love about it, you can get this in um, on a, like a digital version. Yep. But if you get the uh, paperback, I, it's a paperback version, you can actually do the work 
in the book itself. Um, there and there's also, you know, there's so much here like in the tools section, so much that you'll uncover and learn about yourself as a parent, as an adult. And you know what? The tools and the mental health stuff could be for anybody. Does It really is not specific to a parent. But the challenge is for parents to unpack this stuff and do the work themselves so they can then share that with their teen and facilitate that kind of work with their teen so they can partner on their mental health. Do you ever take the time to realize and, and know how proud of yourself? Do you ever know how proud you are of yourself? I mean, I kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you've done so much. Like you are like, I'm not calling you crazy, but you've done a lot of crazy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I've done so much stuff. Did I ever tell you about the time that I accidentally stepped on stage when Prince was playing? Probably oh, not. He didn't kick you off the stage? No, his bodyguards did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing about the book that you should know. The foreword was written by my son. I noticed that. I noticed that because he has a great first name too. Yeah, Miro. Yeah. So it's it's powerful. Um it makes me cry every time I read it. Aww. But it's a really wonderful um, testament to what happens when you grow up doing this work and how this book can transform your family into a family of partnership and greater mental health. Like the, the culture of our family is about mental wellness, right? Yeah, of course. So you could do it too. So anyone out there, go on Amazon, seen, heard, understood, parenting and partnering with teens for greater mental health. Go get it. Now, okay. real quick, Now, real quick. this is a deep cut if you listen to this podcast a lot. We were chatting about this, The Forbidden Zone, the movie. Yeah. Uh, you have a connection to that movie. Yeah, I totally do. Oh, you want me to tell it? Yeah, of course. Now, <laughs> again, this is a deep cut for 2010-minute fans because I bring this movie up from time to time. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, 20 years ago, I lived in this house in Silver Lake in LA. I'm from LA yeah. and I lived in a house with three or four drag queens and a movie director. And that was Rick Elfman. And it was a fun house. We were always throwing parties and potlucks and oh my God, there was never a dull moment. So Rick Elfman, who was or is the director of, do you know he did a second movie, right? No. So he did Tales from the Forbidden Zone. I don't think it got much uh, like um, acclaim for the, yeah, right. but I think he did it maybe less than 10 years ago but really? the first one oh my god it was so amazing so i i moved into the house um and then rick was friends with one of the other guys and so he moved into the house because we had an opening and it was so cool it was such a really fun house to be in and i actually happened to be living in that house when i met my son's father and yeah, so that's how all that came about. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's crazy. That movie. If you if you're looking for a movie that's over the top crazy, go oh, get so Forbidden good. Zone. You can probably get it on Amazon. Go buy the book and then go buy that movie. Oh yeah, Pico and Sepulveda. <laughs> Every time we drive across, Pico and Sepulveda. Uh, I just <laughs> the, so even good. the I'm not gonna B A Bay B like I just oh, drives me up a wall in a good way. 
It's so good. It is. Um, I, I must have seen the movie 50 times. I don't uh, know. Yeah. And when we go off here, I'm going to tell you another movie that you need to go see, but I won't say it on air. I love it. I love it. That's exclusive for me only, people. Um, yeah. I like to end with this with my all my guests. What is your personal theme song? Like you come out on a stage, Laney Liberty, what song is playing? I know you you told me you were going to ask me that. And I was like, oh, I'll just come up with something on the fly. Fuck if I know. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I have some like like all-time favorite songs, but like a theme yeah. song. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like a theme theme song, but like a song that's your theme song. Like it could be anything. It could be anything. Um, could be the Forbidden Zone song. <laughs> no. I mean, okay, so this is going to be sem- semi-obscure, and That's I cool. love this song so much, and you probably don't know it. Probably not. It's by Tricky, and it's Evolution, Revolution, Love, and I love it, and I think it's such a good song. Um, yeah, so maybe that's the song. Fantastic. I actually love Obscure songs, so now that I know about it, I can go listen to it. So Okay, you go I appreciate it. <laughs> And let's end with this. What are three things that you're grateful for today? I am grateful for teens, really. I am grateful for technology that allows – I mean, I told you I just got off a call, which is a class. So I was with a group of teens, and it was as if we were in the same room together. And here I am talking to you in Boston with your your accent yeah, my, yeah it's very heavy <laughs> it's a strong accent um you can tell i've got a californian accent yeah, yeah. and i guess the third thing will always have to be tacos <laughs> Ooh, you like a soft taco or a hard taco i mean i live in mexico we did, did the hard tacos are an american thing oh see i didn't know that, Not know that? no i usually put a soft one over the hard one so when i bite it, it doesn't get everywhere if you have the opportunity, and I don't know if you've had it before, go get yourself an El Pastor taco. Okay. Do you All right. Have, yeah. Nope. Tacos are awesome. They are awesome. Taco Tuesdays, is that, is that what happens at your house? Every day is taco here. <laughs> taco Wednesday, Friday <laughs> afternoon tacos, tacos all the time. Lady Wicked, everyone find you on the internets. Yeah, so I'm all over the internet. You can find me at projectworldschool.com. You can find me at the work that I do with teens is at transformative mentoring for teens. If somebody's watching this and they have a teen or a niece or a nephew that needs some support, I teach courses where we unpack the tools together. We create safe spaces. I give them challenges. It's really about um, the internal worlds and self-inquiry. And it's a great time. Like adolescence is a great time to start really, you know, getting familiar with those, with your internal worlds, whether you're struggling or not struggling, everybody gets something out of it in such an incredible way. Um, about twice a year, I work with parents. I don't do it that often because, well, parents are kind of boring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like teens, I love. Parents are kind of boring. Um, but I do work with them about twice a year. So you can find the work that I do with parents at partnershipparent.com. And then my son and I, uh, we host conferences, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, they're world schooling conferences. So if you're interested in travel as education, um, we're about ready. Well, not about ready, but next spring sometime. We haven't picked a location yet. We're going to be hosting our 10th 
International Conference. Congrats. We'll be here somewhere in Mexico, and it's at uh, Project World School Family Summits. So, dot com. So, or you could just Google my name, Lainey Liberty. You'll find my Twitter and my Instagram and my Facebook. And yeah, I'm all over. You'll find me. Fantastic. You're like the uh, common San Diego of, uh, of the internet. Do you know who that is? Common San Diego? Oh, Carmen San Diego, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Sure you <laughs> back, 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 back. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Auntie Laney Liberty, thank you so much for coming on another uh, coming up on uh, my show here. It was uh, really a lot of fun. Oh, thank you for the invitation. You're a lot of fun, so right. thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. That's another episode of Twenty Ten Minutes. Let's break the stigma by cracking a smile. podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.